Hello, everyone. Dr. Richard Olberger, a.k.a. Richard Listens, here to bring you another edition of the Richard Listens podcast. I'm grateful for all of you for staying here, supporting, and listening. Again, please pick up your copy of Awaken the Hero Within the Zero Method, releasing April 4th on Amazon.com. Get one for you or someone you care about. I'm excited to bring to you a lot of the concepts we talk about on the show, but an enhanced look at how to get beneath the layers and get to your full potential. Today, I will be interviewing Miriam Glaze from Lyon, France. She is an Olympic synchronized swimmer who represented France at the 2000 Summer Olympics in Sydney and Australia at the 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing. She was inspired to take up synchronized swimming when she was six years old after watching it on television, and she won 10 synchronized swimming titles in France and represented France in in the team at the 2000 Olympics coming forth. She moved to Australia in 2005 to take a marketing position and later became eligible for selection on the Australian team for Beijing. She has since founded a company known as Athlete Soul. And today we'll be talking about her work with athletes in transition and how she helps them leave sport and find their passion outside of sport. Miriam has also helped to work with the junior national team, coaching, and the England talent team. She first moved to the U.S. in 2012 in New York City and then on to San Francisco, when she became the USA Synchro High Performance Director in 2012 and in 2015 became the CEO of USA Synchronized Swimming, leading to a complete restructure of the organization. Without further ado, I am proud and thankful to welcome Miriam Glass. Welcome to the podcast, Miriam. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, Richard. Thank you. So... Synchronized swimming, how many of my listeners have watched it on television and you as well found your passion watching it on television? Was there like a light bulb moment when you ran up to your parents and said, I want to be that? Yeah, absolutely. This is exactly how it happened for me. Um, Obviously, this is not a well-known sport, um, especially in the U.S. I think it's more known in Europe. I saw a competition on TV as a young kid and uh, I told my mom immediately, like, this is what I want to do. And that's how I started my journey. And it's really hard, right? You have to learn. It's like dance combined with swimming, right? You have to like, I remember watching with objects. It's, it's not, it's not so simple. Exactly. It's, it's really is a combination of gymnastic dancing and swimming. Um, and the, the training includes all of these disciplines as well. So lots of different things to uh, make a synchronized swimmer. Did your young elementary school life change pretty quickly? Uh, it did indeed. So after I told mm, my parents that's what I wanted to do, I, I joined a club shortly after and went from a couple of practices a week to several practices a week, nearly, I think, pretty quickly to five days a week. So it included a lot of driving around like any other kid that um, takes on the sport and becomes serious about it. And, you know, if I have five days a week commitment, I think as early as uh, seven or eight years old. Wow. Wow. What a dedication and a commitment. <laughs> I know we've had athletes on from different countries. And I think in Russia, they make you move to like an academy and move away from your parents at a very young age. Hopefully it wasn't that extreme, but certainly the amount of focus and dedication from an early age is, is really evident. 
And you've gone on to stay involved at the international level in, in coaching. Are you still involved in the USA? I'm not involved in, in coaching or internationally anymore, but I, I did for a long time. After I trained, I always sort of coached on the side after I retired as an athlete. I started a club in Australia and then ended up coaching that club and then coaching in, in England after that and then in the U.S. So I was involved for a long time and I'm still, you know, in touch with all the um, the my former athletes and teammates and competitors who have gone on to become coaches now. So I still follow what's going on. I'm not necessarily um, as involved in the coaching anymore. Yeah, and that, that raises a good point. I know we're going to get into your company, Athlete Soul, and how it serves a, a key role in athletes when they transition. How did you know for you when it was time, you know, after having a full career as an athlete, when it was time to transition away? Um, so I think I, uh, I didn't know. Uh, first of all, I, so I had a first retirement that I didn't really choose, and it came about in 2003 so right after I had got I had been accepted to a business school one of the top business school in France so I competed for the French national team in the in the Sydney Olympics and I continued after the Olympics even though my original goal as a child was I want to go to the Olympics and I made my goal and I didn't really reevaluate what um I was doing after that I still loved the sport and I was having a lot of fun doing it and so I just wanted to continue and I didn't really reevaluate my goal um, I also wanted to I was always pursuing my academics um, outside of sports and I wanted to go to a business school so I was really focused on that and I got in I actually learned the uh, the acceptance when I was competing at the World Cup um, and then a couple of weeks later, our new season started and um, I was invited to a meeting with my team, uh, which I thought was a meeting in preparation for the new season. We were uh, preparing for the 2004 um, Olympic Games in Athens. At that meeting, I was asked by my the head coach and the president of the federation to actually choose between preparing for the Olympics full time or attending business school. I never saw this coming. <laughs> I had no idea. I, in the spur of the moment, decided that I was going to go to school. That had been a very clear goal for me. The sports goal had been reached and I hadn't really reevaluated what, what else I wanted to achieve. And so one path was clearer than the other one. And so I decided to walk away and, um, and attend business school. So that was my experience in my first retirement. Never had thought about it. And that wasn't even in my mind. I was, I actually had conversation with the school about how I could really extend the number of years with the school so that I could pursue uh, a professional career in sport and, <laughs> and my business school. So that did not, did not happen. But yeah, this is how the, the first time came around. Wow. I mean, you know, and this is a really good lesson for a lot of our listeners. Sometimes your choice comes to you without, without even knowing you were going to have a choice. Correct. And I think for a lot of athletes, it happens this way, you know, whether it's a t situation like mine or whether it's a situation like COVID or an injury, you come at a crossroads where you have to make a decision and, you know, you were not prepared for it. I think what was interesting for me and, and how I reflect on it now, too, is that I was very black and white in my thinking, which, you know, is pretty obvious when it's pretty normal when you're in your 20s. But you know, in hindsight, I think there are alternative paths and I could have been 
proposing something else, which at the time I didn't even occur to me to say, well, can we negotiate? Like, can we find a different way? Can I find a compromise somewhere to be able to do both? Didn't necessarily have the support system or uh, behind me to like try to think in thing in this in this situation in a different way. And I don't think I felt confident enough in my sports goal to propose a different way as well. So I think if I had reevaluated where I was after the Olympics and really said, okay, this is my academic goal and this is my sports goal, and I'm very clear about both, then I think I would probably have tried to negotiate. But I think one of my goals was clearer than the other one. And uh, in hindsight, I think that's probably why I made that decision at the time. Yes, but but uh, but you did not give up just there. You you continued on, right? You wound up moving to Australia and continuing. I had no idea I would go back. So I I really launched myself into school and focused on that and put all of my energy into this. And then I took a job uh, a couple of years later in Australia with the company I was working with and ended up reconnected reconnecting with the sport in Australia and participating in a competition. And then they invited me to swing for their national team. So through like different circumstances, I ended up going back into swimming first for the fun of it. And because I was missing it a little bit. And then, you know, this great opportunity came up to um, compete with the national team. And it, it was really hard to pass. At the time, I had the full support of my company, which really kind of tilted the scale for me to go back. I was working full time and they offered me a lot of flexibility and support for my immigration, but also support in my job. So I would have probably not gone back into the sport if I did not have their support. Um, but for me, it was a great way to return and be able to compete and, and finish in my own terms and experience a, a different ending, which was uh, really positive and brought a, lot, a, a really nice sense of closure uh, to what I had been doing you know, for 20 years. I think because my company was so supportive, I did not feel threatened on the business side. Like I felt like I had my job and I could go back to it. And if it didn't work out, that would still be available. I had a stable partner at the time. We got married the year of the Olympics. So there were a lot of things aside from the sport that were very stable and gave me, you know, that ability to feel at peace, even if the sport side was not working out. So they... I didn't see it as much risk at the time, but it, it felt like it was a lot of positive and benefit, even though it was really hard to come back to the highest level after, you know, a three-year hiatus and, and, and later in my, in my life and at a later age where the sport had changed a lot. And so physically it was very difficult, but from a psychological perspective, I felt pretty safe in, in the decision of coming back. That's incredible. And do you see this a lot now that you work with athletes or did this whole launch your aspirations to when did the, the desire to create a company around helping athletes with transitions and decisions? When did that happen? When did that spark inside of you? So there's been a mixture of things. I in, in talking with a lot of uh, former athletes that I've coached, but also athletes from other sport, I realized that the thinking was really black and white at every level, whether it was on the, the side of the athletes or the coaches or uh, the federation or the clubs and the leagues. And we were not very creative at proposing different paths or thinking about sport in a different way. And it was kind of interesting for me to hear other athletes talk about their 
transition and realize regardless of the circumstances, sometimes an injury, sometimes the end of a of a championship, sometimes they didn't make the team. There wasn't a lot of alternative thinking on how your transition come about and how you can handle it. So it made me think a lot. It made me reflect on my own transition and how I could have done things differently, uh, but also how we could help other athletes think about it in a different way, where it's more integrated with your life. And in general, that's a, something that we support a lot at Athlete Soul is this idea that you are a whole person and, you know, sport is one vehicle to achieve what you want to do in life. How do you mesh that into your life and figure out, you know, how can it last as long as you can? How do you not burn out early on? And, and a lot of the answers to this is developing outside of sport and having many layers to your identity and who you are and not be feeling completely stuck and pressure on the sports side. Um, so, you know, there was a little bit of influence from my own experience and then a lot from talking with other athletes and people that I've coached. Um, and then kind of that wheel of trying to figure out how we can change the approach to it. Yeah, I mean, burnout is such a, a key component or something that, that athletes may not even know how to recognize within themselves or all of a sudden it's lack of enthusiasm to, to practice or harder and harder and a lot of fear around who would I be if not this. Uh, how do we cultivate that curiosity for athletes who are now earlier and earlier in life having to pre-select their sport? I'm seeing basketball players from five, six years old. Uh, you know, having to focus on a single sport? It's such an interesting and difficult question and answer. I think you're right. There is still this strong, not belief that you need to be focused on one thing to get to the highest level. And the whole system is set up for that, especially in basketball and baseball and soccer. There is no space or gymnastic or swimming. There is no space to do anything else. And you know, whether it's the athletes, the coaches, all the parents, they all, everybody believes that you need to, you know, be part of the travel team and do the five-day training so that you can you can get to the highest level. And I, and I think it's correct. The system is set up to encourage that. But at the same time, if by age 12, you've already done six or seven years of intense training within one sport, it's going to be hard to pass the 15, 16 years old uh, kind of mark. And I mean, I see it with my own kid. I'm trying to navigate developing her as a, an athletic child in, multi, in many different areas without to specialize. But now she's 12 years old and she's, she is in a few sports. She's committed to one sport and she's the only one who only has done it for like a year and everybody else has been in it for six years. And it's challenging because she has the athletics, but then, you know, a lot of people will say, well, yeah, but she doesn't know the technique. She doesn't know how it works. And I'm thinking, yeah, but don't worry, she'll catch up. So it, it is a really difficult, I think a, a lot of it has to be around the coaching style and, and really encouraging coaches to recognize they're losing too many athletes, you know, at this sort of end of middle school, high school age. And you would have a longer career if you are more diversified in your in your sports, in your athletic experiences. And if you have something else outside of your sport, mentally, you will be able to last so much longer than if you do just that. 
Um, and taking breaks, like, you know, taking breaks in between your season, doing all the things, I think is really valuable. Yeah, you raise a really key component because what's happening with the overtraining and the specialization is, is a loss of fun or even, right, just enjoying, right, having experiences with your teammates, right, uh, and, and you're becoming a professional at a very early age. Yeah, there's more repetition, more preparation. I do see value in bringing the professional level of training down to the youth sport because that means more prevention, uh, more cross-training, more fitness, uh, training on antagonists. Like I think there is better preparation. There is better nutrition. I think younger athletes are starting to really take advantage of that. So there is value in that. I think we haven't seen the value yet in the cross-training between sports, um, we haven't recognized that enough. I think we haven't recognized enough of the recovery, the the need for recovery of all all type of recovery, whether it's PT, whether it's sleeping, whether it's taking days off, whether it's having time with your family. That is all part. Of, like your mental recovery is really important as well. So I think that hasn't trickled down yet enough. So there is value in bringing down, you know, some of the the science from the pros, but you've got to like remember why you're doing your sport and keep the fun in it. Otherwise, you know, why are you even there? Right. So how do you teach this or or emphasize these concepts to adults who are coming to you who are looking, what do I do now? They've hit with this decision of, is it time to transition or I have to transition? Help. We um so we do two things. We we work with athletes before they retire, and then we work with athletes who have just retired or are about to retire. With the one that are still competing, we actually have this personal development program, which I think is really helpful. It focuses on who they are outside of sport and trying to explore other interests, explore their identity, um, and and really spend time learning about themselves what motivates them, um, their emotions, how to handle their emotion, the connection between what they're thinking and their body, their, between their emotion and their body, how to set goals for life in general and how the sport fits into this and how you prioritize, you prioritize things so that there is space for sport and other things outside of that. So this is kind of our answer in trying to develop the whole athlete, make them aware on, of things they can do to be more prepared for life beyond sport. We try not to talk about athletic retirement and transition away from sport, but really look at it from a personal development perspective. And then when it comes to the transition and for those athletes who are in the process of retiring, um, this is more of a bit of a handholding, right? We pair them with professional coaches who also are former athletes and they work with these coaches for three or six months, sometimes even more. And it's giving them a sounding board. It's giving them someone who's been in their shoes, who will be able to provide uh, perspective, guidance, and keep them accountable and, and keep them moving forward. So those are the, the two services that, that we offer. The last thing is we've built a community of athletes and former athletes. And so I think they really enjoy also connecting with each other and um, kind of building that, that social community, um, typically outside of their college or how, outside of their team. I like so many things about what you're saying, you know, the transition then, and we know, and we learned this in the, the pandemic, transitions in themselves can be traumatic, 
But if we focus on this, right, this is traumatic, right? It's like it just creates more panic as opposed to what I what I hear you saying is, right, we want to help this become part of your personal development. It may be a difficult choice, but it, it involves getting to know your values better, getting closer to who, well, who is your identity? What are you curious about that you've always wanted to act upon that you haven't been able to or even begin even thinking about that? And what are goals that you've had that you haven't been able to act on? Right. Or that you've been prevented to by the from by the schedule, by the demand. And then you said the power of community. When you have a mentor, when you have somebody who's been on the other side or can help even just create a safe place for exploring that discussion of those feelings, it creates a safe way to transition. It doesn't have to be this harsh reality. Right. Especially if there's a community who's been through it and is now they're now succeeding in another way. So those skills get to transition with Exactly. And as you know, as you know, any transition is is an opportunity for huge growth. And I think that message really resonates with with athletes. They know what failure look like and how you use that to fuel yourself for the next growth or the next medal and win. And so we're trying to use that message of you already know what that looks like and you just need to look at it the same way. This is an opportunity for you to learn and grow from a difficult situation. You've been in difficult situation before. You know what it looks like. You know how it feels like. And so it's trying to reconnect with that experience and approach the, the, the time of transition in the same way. How can I learn from this? And who is helping me? Who is helping me through that process so that it's not as traumatic as if I was doing it on my own? But, but I think, you know, athletes actually know how to do it. We just have to use the right words so that they can see that, that they can see it's an actual, it, it is an opportunity. And if we switch that mindset, then it's like they, they see things completely differently. It's one of the biggest uh, win that we see is when they finally have that switch, um, then it really accelerates everything that they're doing. If you tie it back into the same way of thinking, the kind of the light bulbs go off. Like you said, which athlete hasn't been in a situation where, there's been pressure uh, where they had to challenge themselves, where they had to give the extra mile, where they had to do something uncomfortable for their team. Usually those lessons transfer. What was one thing that you learned from your athletic career that transitioned you to, to excel in school and then business? Um, there is a very long list <laughs> of things. Um, but I think the, the most important one for me well, actually, it's probably two. There's one that's more inspirational and one is more practical. So we're going to do both. Okay, so good. The, the most inspirational one is to be open to opportunity and try to be able to see them. We usually have a lot of opportunities that come around us and it's trying is being able to recognize them and grab any opportunity, even if it's risky and uncomfortable. Um, a lot of the moves that I've made in my life were because of incredible opportunity that were given to me. And I said, yes, okay, I'll do that. You know, the first one is uh, being offered a job in, in Australia and, but it had to start the following week. And so I moved from France to Australia in a week, but this was an incredible opportunity. And um, uh, just being able to catch those when they happen and not be afraid to kind of turn everything upside down to, to grab that incredible opportunity and go the uncomfortable way, uncomfortable path. Because again, that's where the, the biggest growth is going to happen. 
so I think that's more the inspirational side. And then the practical side is to, um, you know, continuously break things down into small bites um, that are manageable every day. So if, if you structure your day like you did in your sport and you have little things to achieve, so the big goal is not so overwhelming, um, it's much easier to manage. And you can also monitor where you're at and you can notice where you're making progress and that's really encouraging so those will be my two my two biggest uh, transfer from sport wow those are those are keys right there and and just to emphasize them right i like how you put the inspiration first right staying open right sometimes these opportunities are coming all the time if we don't see them then you know it's going to be hard to take the leap if we're fixed and it has to come in a certain way or from a certain organization, we may miss an opportunity to really grow and challenge ourselves and to structure it just as your athletic training has. Keep it small, keep it focused. Correct. One uh, step in front of the next, you know, like one little step at a time. I think this is really, really important. I, uh, I feel a lot of athletes also get lost during that transition period because the change is too big to look at. And the change in lifestyle, the change in goal, they may have a great idea of what they want to achieve in life beyond sport, but it's like looking at the beginning of your career as an athlete and looking at only at the end goal. There's been so many different steps before that, and these were the one that you had to take. And so I, you know, I think when we, you, you break down your next life in smaller bites, it's much easier, and it really sort of makes athletes slow down and kind of be more centered in the moment rather than thinking, okay, I want this ideal job as my next job after sport. This is not going to happen. So what are the different, the smaller jobs you want to do before you get to that? What are the skills? What are, what do you have to eliminate first? What kind of positions or things that you're going to fail at or not like do you need to do before you get to that ultimate position? Um, and so we have to really break those things down and I think we forget too often that this whole process is takes time. It takes time and it takes one day at a time. And for a lot of athletes, right, if you've been a professional since you were seven, now you could be 27 or 30 and now you're, you're starting a career. Maybe you feel like you're behind. Maybe in some ways for non-athletes, you are behind. Uh, but if that's the perspective you come from, it's going to lead to more self-doubt and negative self-talk, right? I know a lot of athletes have been in the NFL for years or been professional figure skaters, and yet they don't have a resume uh, when they go to their first interview. So I think, you know, like you said, breaking it down into smaller components, right? Maybe there's some really basic job skills or even internships that you need to begin to develop a different skill set. Exactly. And I think um, the word slowing down is really scary athlete especially in the transition I you know a lot of athletes do not like to have empty days they don't like not having the structure um, they want to feel like they're doing things to get to their goal so they're very action oriented and there is a place to somehow slow down on your overall goal and yet still have a full day in in feel like you're active in your process and so it's trying to find that balance of like I have a full day working towards those small goals whether it's you know keeping healthy taking care of my family and taking step to gain some experience in my in my work or in my job um, but I'm slowing down 
with that goal in the sense of understanding it will take time to reach that goal. What are the steps in between? Um, it's, it's trying to find that balance. I'm sure you see that with a, a lot of athletes that you work with too. Yeah. I mean, Peter Levine from, you know, somatic experience calls it pendulation, right? It's just, we need the ability to slow down in order to speed up. It's not, you know, I know this may scare a lot of athletes. What do you mean? I'm used to being up at five 30. I'm used to being at training. Then I go like, like now you're telling me to just, you know, slow. I could see that being really boring or not interesting to kind of sit in a boardroom or just learn something intellectually. So it's not a matter of like stopping that part of you that's a lifelong athlete and loves competing. You know, maybe there's other areas in your life where you're still going to continue that, or maybe you're going to still continue with your sport in a different way, but it's slowing down in a way to kind of recenter yourself. Like you said, how can I get in touch with the other parts of my identity? How can I identify growth areas that I want to step into? Challenge may look in our last few minutes. Tell us about athlete soul and uh, how athletes can find you and, and, and what you're looking to expand into in the coming year. Sure. So Athletes All is a, a nonprofit organization um, that was started by former athletes to support retiring athletes in the, their transition away from sport. We also do education and awareness generally to normalize the conversation around athletic retirement, but also to encourage athletes to develop outside of sport. Um, so all the things we talked about, we offer service, a variety of services from, we have an online course, we have a group coaching program for competing athletes, lots of resources available on wellness and life skills are available on our website. We offer transition and career coaching for retiring athletes. And then all sorts of networking events and opportunities for both athletes and former athletes. So our services are available to athletes from all sports, uh, all levels, from collegiate to the pros and Olympian, um, and at no cost to the athletes. So as a nonprofit, we raise funds so that we can offer all those services for free to athletes. You can find all of that information on our website at athletesoul.org. And what's coming up for us? Well, this year, our goal is to support 50 athletes individually and over 40 athletes through our group coaching program. And we're hoping to increase those numbers uh, year after year moving forward. That's incredible that you're able to do that. I mean, we know professional athletes in some sports are not being paid very highly depending what level they're at, and yet they're living in, in foreign countries. They're, they're putting themselves out. So, so be able to have resources and support without it adding a tax to their transition is incredible. Um, how receptive have you found the uh, swimming community uh, or professional organizations to be? Um, so I think the, the organization are starting to look at our services to recommend them uh, for perhaps athletes who have not access to this type of services. And this is typically the audience that we started uh, the organization for those athletes who didn't didn't make the top Olympic team or you know were in the league but only you know for a few years or simply want independent unaffiliated services. We work with a lot of you know tier two and three professional athletes and and um, athletes in the Olympic world. Uh, we work with a lot of foreign athletes as well or U.S. athletes that are based overseas. Um, so it's a variety of. Of athletes, but the response is very positive from every organization that we've spoken to. And, and really, we see ourselves as a 
complementary service to what is already out there and provided by some of these organizations. And so, you know, it's it's another way and layer to to help athletes and and have something you know that can support them on the go as well. That's one of the big um, element of what we're doing. And it's uh, completely virtual, or are there uh, options? Exactly. So everything we offer is remote, uh, from obviously the online course to the group coaching and the, and the individual coaching. We have coaches all over the country. We have a couple in Europe, um, and we have athletes all over the world as well. Um, so they connect, you know, like like we do now on Zoom and uh, make it work that way. But for us, that was one of the elements that we felt very strongly about from the beginning was to be able to provide services on the go because athletes are traveling and we need to find them where they are. And so what does an athlete do to reach out to you to just get started? Is it, is it should, you know, is it intimidating? Do they have to go through a bunch of uh, tests and batteries and hook up electrodes or what's, what's the simplest way <laughs> to get started? It's much simpler than that. Uh, they can go on our website and, you know, go from there, but they can simply just reach out to me uh, via email. And we usually go through a, just a Zoom conversation after they reach out. So we, uh, we do a live video, video call with any new contacts um, to figure out where they're at and how we can best service them and help them out. So it's very, very simple. That's terrific. We're hoping that uh, the fundraising will only be able to increase in the coming years. Exactly. This, you know, moving forward challenge for us is to do as much fundraising as we can so we support more athletes. So the more we raise, uh, the more athletes we'll support. And the good news is with being virtual, you can still uh, be at your daughter's sporting events and uh, coaching an athlete. Exactly. I'm trying to connect with uh, any athlete that I see at her sporting event. <laughs> <laughs> the, other, the other parents who were former athletes, you're scouting them out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How do you how do you keep the professional uh, distance from from you know letting her have fun and wanting her to be the best? Um, I I think we've always trying to we've always tried to stay back and make sure that her motivation is what's driving her in sport. We've been really lucky that she's doing sport that I didn't do or my husband didn't do, so it's her own thing. We don't, and I really like this because we don't know anything about it, which makes her the expert. Therefore, she has to be driving it. Um, so I think that has been really fantastic to see and. You know, we help and support in any way we can, but she has to be the one who really wants it and drives it. Yeah. Well, Miriam, thank you so much for making time in your busy day from everything you do for us. Anything else about ways in which uh, athletes can get a hold of you or if they're curious how they can reach out or first steps they can take? Well, first of all, thank, thanks for having me. Uh, great conversation. Anybody that wants to reach out, they can either uh, email me at Miriam, M-Y-R-I-A-M, at athletesoul.org. Um, they can visit our website. Um, they can contact us from the website there. They can also reach out on any of the social media platform um, at athletesoul. And um, then we go from there. Amazing. Amazing. And uh, don't forget the Zero Method, Waking the Hero Within, releasing on Amazon today. So we'll make sure you get you some copies for your athletes uh, right. delving into values, identity, a lot of the same concepts. So look forward to collaboration down the road. Great. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, everyone, the true gift talking with Miriam Glez, CEO 
of Athlete Soul, uh, helping athletes in transition, valuable skills offered remotely across the globe for those considering the transition to their next venture, and discussing what it's like to discover your passion at a young age and to shoot for the stars and eventually land yourself in two Olympics. Incredible accomplishment and an incredible, no pun intended, soul and uh, caring guide and business mentor who also set out to achieve her goals and not to be stymied by pressure from the outside world to go after her passion and create her future. I thank all of you for listening. I appreciate all of you who like, listen, and share the podcast. Please pick up your copy, The Zero Method, Awaken the Hero Within, available now on Amazon.com and other online booksellers. Take care, everyone. This is Richard, and I'm out.